Hello and welcome to my show, Conversation with Priya. I'm your host, Priya Mesha. Today, our guest is Ravi Nair. Ravi Nair is the Director, International Railway Expert, Turnarounds Transformation Executive Coach, Croc Medileaf International South Africa, seasoned and highly successful Chief Executive with over 25 years C-level multifunctional railway experience, Ravi has held several positions such as Chief Executive Officer, Chief Strategy Officer, Chief Marketing Officer, Chief Planning Officer, Chief Operating Officer, and Financial Officers. Ravi is a renowned, awarded, and demonstrated leader in a large-scale thousands in transformation with a strong reputation of inspirational leadership in building inclusive, cohesive, and motivational team of culturally diverse background with the passion for innovation and customer service. He has held the position of international chair of the BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa Infrastructure Forum for large scale, mutually beneficial infrastructure investment and international railway collaboration. He's passionate coaching emotional intelligence, a key talent differentiator in young future leaders across the world to realize their true professional ability. So uh, Mr. Nair has a vast experience, Bachelor of Accounting Service Executive Development Program, Master of M Management, and he's also doing a PhD in Emotional Intelligence. Ravi has traveled widely to study leadership and transformation in large organization, railway system, logistics, supply chain, operation optimization model, and countries like USA, United Kingdom, France, Italy, Sweden, China, Brazil, India, Russia, and Argentina. He has also delivered numerous presentations in leadership, motivation, transformation, business diversification, emotional intelligence for future leaders, strategy, marketing, and operation at many local and overseas conferences. So help me to welcome today, Mr. Ravi Nair. He lives in Johannesburg, South Africa. Hello, Mr. Ravi Nair. Welcome to my show. Thanks for accepting my request for joining in this conversation with Priya. Indeed. Good morning, uh, Priya, and uh, it's my pleasure, and thank you very much for inviting me. Pleasure, pleasure. So I would like to start before we go jump onto the very serious question. How this whole journey started for you being more of a consultant to the railway um, people who are, who are interested to go into that career path? I think, you know, many years ago, Priya, um, you know, it, uh, I, it automatically sort of came to me as I was working in the railway environment, I, I became uh, sort of an elder brother or an elder uncle or an advisor to many of the people uh, with whom uh, I would actually be, uh, uh, with whom I would actually be uh, either managing. Yeah. And what actually happened then is, is that naturally over the years, that evolved into becoming a, uh, a coach, a self-taught coach. And I eventually looked at many of the young people that came to our environment. And I found that so many of them had such great potential, but they were not accessing that potential. Mm -hmm. uh, they were locked into their academic qualifications. Right. Uh, it was then that I decided that I needed to maybe spend more time coaching and mentoring people um, mm -hmm. on their leadership skills their influence, because a great part of our lives that we travel through, we are constantly negotiating and influencing people. Right. And I found that many young people uh, lacked 
the ability to influence and persuade others. Mm-hmm. So through those uh, experiences, I then automatically grew into a consultant, even when I had very senior positions, even as a CEO in my company, mm-hmm. I was actually a consultant to my people. Right. So I would be someone that they would come and bounce off ideas to. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would ask me for my opinion. They would ask me to critique them. And it was through that, that I actually decided that, you know, uh, I would be better off um, in the latter years of my work life, uh, spending time being a consultant and adding some kind of value to some young people in their future lives. Yeah. And I think it's a very novel job you are doing because educating the younger generation, we have noticed, as you mentioned as well, there are a lot of people who have a technical knowledge, very deep in teaching. Right but they have no uh, work life uh, and understanding of the deep deep knowledge about the how work culture is defined and how you should perform at the workplace and it's becoming a biggest challenge for majority of corporate not not only um, the railway but with a lot of corporate sectors is struggling the pressures when they are joining in they have a lot of enthusiasm technical knowledge yes. they're full of energy and if uh, like the experienced people, I won't call it older generation. I would call it more of an experienced generation. If they can actually pass that knowledge back and if we can mm-hmm. embrace that somehow, create that chain of knowledge, would be amazing to see the growth of any country or any uh, corporate sector. What do you think about it? Absolutely, fully, fully agree with you. I think uh, there are organizations that I've met uh, that epitomize what you've just indicated now. And I've seen them to be having a strategic edge over other organizations. In other words, those who take the very experienced people mm-hmm. and pair them, they pair them with the young people coming into the organization. And uh, you find that after a few months, some of the experienced people, their experience, uh, uh, brushes off onto the young people in one way or the other. Right. And you're absolutely 100% right. The gap with the number of the young future leaders is not the technical skills. Yeah, it, it, It's more how to fit into an organization, organizational yeah. fit, where you are, uh, what you stand for, how do you plan to deliver your outputs, uh, how do you plan to persuade people, influence people, build your networks, uh, build your internal brand? Yeah. Um, you know, so after five years, uh, if somebody was to say to you, you have been working post-university for five years, right. what is your brand? What do people know you as other than, you know, you, 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 you are on social media, you like Instagram, you like this, you like that. If somebody was to ask you, describe yourself in one sentence, how mm. would you describe yourself? Yeah. It's very difficult. It so I really like what you're saying, pair off the experienced people with the young people at the end of the day. In most organizations, I think that's great. And before experienced people retire, yeah. let them move off some of the experience to the young people. Yeah, yeah. And I totally agree with that because otherwise it will be like a big knowledge gap you can see. And you know, Putting that into the document format and all is not going to make a difference. It's like human connection. As I know you are very much experienced and you're doing your PhD in EQ side as well. 
as you can see if we can when you mentor somebody in person it's it's a different experience and the different knowledge passing you know and it has been practiced for from the ancient practices as well and it was so far it was person to person and emotional connect actually brought that knowledge so far here if we look into yes. that isn't it yes so what do companies have to do achieve innovation and excellence do you have any view on that Yes, I think, you know, Priya, I think when we look at innovation, I think for me, the main thing on innovation is for companies to achieve innovation is that one is you have to create a culture yeah. of innovation. Mm -hmm. And the culture comes from the top of the organization. The tone is set at the top. Yeah. So I'm a firm believer that if you want to create an organization that innovates all the time and continuously. You don't innovate when there's a problem, yeah. but you have continuous innovation. You need to build a culture where you encourage innovation, you reward innovation, mm. you empower for innovation, and you also enjoy innovation. And more than that, you enjoy failed innovation. Mm. Mm. In other words, you discuss people's innovation yeah. as well as failed innovation in the organization. And when you encourage the innovation and you reward for it, I'm a firm believer that behavior that is rewarded is repeated. So when you reward for innovation, you are creating and embedding a culture of innovation that will continuously, uh, of itself, it will continuously live on itself and expand in the organization. So mm -hmm. I think innovation is important in companies but you need to create a culture of it. It can't be a once-off. Yeah. Secondly, yeah. Secondly, you also can't have innovation. Whilst I appreciate you must have in some technically competent organizations, you must have a research and development department. But I think it's a misnomer to believe that they are the only people in the company who are responsible for innovation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For, I mean, this is called culturally conditioned. Like every society, yes. you know, Africa has embraced a lot in, in a many, many aspects of culturally conditioned concept. Correct. You know? So culturally conditions, it's not about society. It's not just about a country. It's about also a company. And it's like nurturing a child. When a child is born, he's not going to learn your family values straight away. It takes time. Absolutely. And they Correct. adopt some things with the genetical and some things by the environment. And when it comes to the company, the genetic part is not there. Everything is Absolutely. adopted. So as Correct. you create the easy process to adopt to the culturally conditioned concept, I think it's going to change the whole dimension of how people are giving you productivity and performance. Would you agree? Absolutely, Absolutely spot on. And in fact, with what you've just said now, uh, we, we move on to excellence. Hmm. So when you look at excellence, uh, my perspective on excellence in an organization is that if you want to embed excellence in an organization, you need to get your employees to be emotionally attached to the company. Yeah, emotionally when, Yeah. Exactly. So, so when, when employees who are emotionally attached to the organization where they see their jobs beyond a paycheck. Mm. They love the brand. They enjoy their jobs, the description of their jobs, their value add, their contribution to the company, and they go the extra mile 
Those employees who are emotionally attached mm. are the employees who will drive your excellence. Right. Yeah. And excellence is not an event. Mm. So, 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 but to have employees who are emotionally attached to the organization, mm. you need as a leader to show those employees that you care for them, you have empathy, you worry about their well-being. Yeah. You 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 push their well-being before profits. Mm. You know? Yeah. And, and 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 so to get emotionally attached people to the organization, the issue of empathy is cardinal to that. Yeah. Once you show people you care for them, they will then give you more than just a paycheck. Mm. Mm. I'm a That's firm believer that you want to embed excellence. You have got to show employees you care for them. Right. I mean, emotional investment actually create the evangelist for you, isn't it? 100%. So, you have ambassadors and evangelists that will go and preach your organization and your brand everywhere yeah. without you even having to ask them to do so. Right. And, you know, a lot of people are claiming this is it's a customer-centric selling and all, but it is not happening, you know. Mm -hmm. But in that terms, like railways has been in the virtual lifeline of humanity for over 100 years now. But yes, in terms yes. of uh, turnaround strategy, the sector has been very slow in adopting to change. What do you yes. think this is? I think the main problem that you have with railways that they are starting to move out of it, but the historical perspective of railways is railways comes from a command and control perspective. Yeah. So it, it, over the years, the history of railways can be traced back to being part of wars, being part of the government of the of the country, and so on and so forth. So they have their institutional history it comes from a command and control perspective, and that in itself lacks agility and flexibility right so the main problem with railways in transformation is they they need to make sure how do they embed agility and flexibility once they are able to deal with agility and flexibility hmm. they will be able to be far quicker responsive yeah to changes around them hmm. and changes that they need to undergo Right. So I personally believe that agility and flexibility is important. But at the same time, you need to have agility and flexibility comes also from the leadership. Right. So whilst you have to have processes, mm -hmm. policies, and controls in any organization, you must encourage agility and flexibility. Right. I mean, ultimately, it all comes to the sh like setting an example and following the right leadership, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely correct. And the agility and flexibility comes also from encouraging critique mm. and criticism. Mm. Now, I mean, if you find many companies out there, you mm. find that the leadership uh, around the leaders, I always say to leaders out there when I coach them, I mm. say, if your leadership team agrees with you, then you don't need your team. Yeah, right. So powerful leaders grow. You will never grow because you have praise singers. No. People who sing your praises, you will not grow. If you want to grow, surround yourself with people who criticize you. Mm. So if you want to adopt agility and flexibility, mm. you also need to encourage 
an organizational culture where people question, mm. people criticize, and you use that to build agility and flexibility. Meaning, a simple example I would give you, uh, Priya, is, you know, if you say that these are your timetables for Indian railways, right, and um, uh, you know um, they are, uh, you don't want anyone to criticize them uh, and so forth. You're not going to change those timetables. But if somebody comes to you and says to you, you know, why are you running a train from Mumbai to Delhi at this time in the morning when you should be running a shorter train or a longer train, more coaches and those type of things, that criticism is going to help you become agile and flexible in serving that market. Right, right. Without that criticism, you will not be agile and flexible. And rather you will say, no, I'm sorry, that's the timetable, take it or leave it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a bit of, when it comes to the leadership, disciplinary action you know, makes a lot of difference. And if it would have been not required, there would not, there was not a need of creating an organizational structure at all, right? Correct. It was needed. It was needed. That's why they they are lost so many hierarchy has been created, especially during the industrial era, and people are still practicing it, you know. Correct. But what's in your word describes transformation? How is it different from change? You know, I think if I look at change, uh, my view of change, Priya, is something that is very small. It is generally uh, something that is imposed on you by outside forces. Mm. It is a knee-jerk reaction. Mm -hmm. It is reactive. It's not proactive. Right. Uh, You are responding to somebody else setting the agenda on some particular thing. Right. But change is part of transformation. Yeah. Transformation, in my view, is something that is deliberate. It Mm. is intentional. Mm. You sit and reflect Mm. and you think about your organization and say, we need to transform from what we're currently doing to something totally different. We need to have a totally different strategy. And then you need to say, if we need to have a different strategy, what are the type of skills and competencies do we need for that new world? Mm. What are the new processes we need for that world? Mm. What is the new culture we need for that world? So transformation for me is something that is very big. It is intentional. It is proactive. And it is something that you are going to evolve into something totally new. So if I were to say, if you take COVID at the moment, Mm -hmm. organizations all over the world have done very well on change. Mm. But Mm. when COVID came, COVID actually, in many organizations, COVID actually challenged the strategy of many organizations. It even proved a lot of the organization's strategy to be wrong. Mm. It Mm. reset many companies all over the world. And organizations found it very difficult to transform. They were able to change. So I'll give you an example of change in COVID. Change Mm. in COVID, many organizations were able to adapt to uh, courier services, Mm. delivering things to your house. Right. That is a small change. But transformation, not many of them were able to transform. In other words, to change the products, the services, the markets that they serve. It was very difficult because some of these organizations they never wired into the company something mm. like transformation. Many of the organizations also, I must add, they came from 
a, a, a family, you know, a certain historical perspective. Yeah. You know, the great grandfather started this company, handed it down over the years. So why have massive change? Massive change is transformation. Mm-hmm. So I'm firmly of the view that you can build into a company's DNA the ability to transform continuously. Yeah. And how you build family, that... Yeah, even in the family business, it, it transforms um, when people are adopting to the new era, right? So family Correct. businesses are not running because of the grandfather actually successfully ran, ran it. It is still running 200, 300 down the line because the next generation actually embrace the knowledge use the old technique and adopt to the modern society and or the current uh, you know era whatever is that is actually offering you otherwise many businesses are actually no more in existence because the family next generation did not change themselves you know and absolutely 100% yeah. priya and one of the important things that you've mentioned is where these organizations adapt to the new era And I'm a firm believer that that transformation of adapting to the new era comes when you build an organization that is a learning organization. Yeah. Encourage people in your organization to learn and to grow. Mm. In other words, to embrace new ideas Mm. and new ways of doing things. Once you do that, transformation becomes a lot easier because you're already dealing with people who like change. Because with transformation comes change. Hmm. and large-scale change. So Hmm. when your people enjoy change, it's very easy to continuously transform. Yeah, yeah. And I always believe that your company, your employees are staying with you for two reasons. One, either company is very progressive or they they themselves are growing in the company. So either it is a personal reason or it is a social reason. They you know, there is always somebody more money offering outside. You know, if you have a talent, your talent will migrate because there is always somebody, there is, if you will work on a price war that you are a best payer and this and that, there is always somebody offering better than you. But if it is a real good company culture and it is your employees culturally conditioned and align your values and their values together. And if they can see the growth and the change, the progression, then they will definitely stay with you. That's the one way of holding the talent migration, I believe. You are absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. You have to create alignment between what the company stands for mm-hmm. and what individuals aspire for in their in their lives. There must be that congruency. If there is not that congruency, your employees will leave and they will go where they are valued. So your experience is mostly in Africa. Would you tell us how different in the continent with other region? You know, I think Priya, if I look at it, I think uh, on the continent in Africa, I think it's very different compared to other regions. Yeah. And I think one of the main reasons for that, and I will be very open about this, is we lack a lot of progressive leadership. Mm. And whilst we have some of it and pockets of excellence, In the main, we lack a lot of progressive leadership. And what I mean by that is we are not short of employees on our continent who have technical skills. We have millions of them. We lack leadership 
to help those young people unleash their skills. Mm. So for example, you know, if you take the European Union, where you have all these countries have come together and you have the same standards for railways, you have integrated infrastructure investments, integrated operations. You know, you can go from London to Belgium, London to Russia, all those kind of things. Now, if you take our continent, the African continent, the problem we have here is, is that we have an African Union, but we are stuck. We are stuck in, uh, in, in, in policies that pertain to specific countries. Mm. So we have not yet gone across the border uh, to open up our fences and say, you know, let's create free trade. Like now only we've started in the past year, we have the Africa Free Trade Agreement. Right. But you no, know, the African Union started 60 years ago. And only now we have the Africa Free Trade Agreement. So we are progressing now in the right direction, but we should have a yeah. long time ago become more progressive mm-hmm. like the European Union. That then will create a lot of the progress we need in the railway environment, rather than looking at ourselves as individual islands. Now, yeah. what has happened? Now, what has happened in the past 20 years, 30 years, Priya, yeah. is a lot of those young, wonderful skills that we had on our continent in railways mm-hmm. have left our continent. So if you go to Australia, you'll find a lot of South Africans in Australia, train drivers, engineers. Yeah. You go to America, you'll find people from Zimbabwe, people mm-hmm. from Zambia. Mm-hmm. You go to Europe, you'll find people from Nigeria, people from Ivory Coast. Yeah. And, and the reason for that is very simple. Countries need to understand that if you're not progressive, your young people will go yeah. to where they are valued. Yeah, yeah. And, and So that is the difference with us as a continent compared to the other continents. We need to become outwardly focused rather than worrying about our own little islands. Yeah, yeah. And majority of developing country has this issue where people are more inwards rather than outwards and, you know, adopting to the social changes happening across the world, you know. Correct. We are not living in 1600 and 1700 century. We are living in a 21st century. We are modernization, thinking global village, you know, Gandhi concept is becoming a norm these days. It's a, it's a normal now when we adopt to that. And it's, it's not only, it's not only African is, has a problem. It's a common problem in any developing country. And a lot of actually contribution happened because of, I think more of a lack of education, poverty, you know, when people are more worry about their tummy, when they will be worried about their brain, you know what I mean? And talent migration with, I have not heard a single policy, any government from any continent people are bringing to stop going, leaving the talent migration. You know, they should have some kind of a special package to hold on to the high genius people in the, uh, you know, in the country. I'm not saying do the force fully, but there should yes. be a policy that they are well rewarded, they are well valued, and then migration will be less, you know, less yes. happening in any, any developing correct. country. And I correct. have, we, we both know that, you know, we don't have lack of genius, you know, in our country. We have a full of geniuses in country. We just need to value them well, you know, I believe. Correct. That's. Correct. So having said that, in, in 
you know, this whole treaty started and it's really going to change the whole country perspective and overall Africa as a continent. Do you think that uh, the Africans will be like more trying to visit within the country? I heard that Rwanda is adopting some kind of a Singapore model because of the, again, a strategic location and all. Is it going to yes. change something in terms of overall business aspects? You know, I think it will change. If you look at Rwanda at the moment, I think it's a fine example uh, of the speed at which leaders running a country can be decisive mm -hmm. for their country. Okay. What I like about the Rwanda model is that uh, Paul Kahame, mm -hmm. uh, having gone and studied models in Singapore, all these places, is very much rooted right. in being, in being action-orientated. Great. Now, why I like that, uh, Priya, is I'm not one for long committees and presidents' economic advisory councils and this council and that council and that council. I like, I like Paul Kahame because he goes and studies and he sees things. He comes and he implements them very quickly and he doesn't debate them. Right. You know, you know I met a, 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 a politician once many years ago from one of our countries in Africa, and I won't mention the name of the country. Yeah, for sure. and, and he said to me, I asked him, what is one of your biggest problems that you face in your country? And he said, you know, our biggest problem that we face is we are not action oriented. Mm. We debate even the basic things. So what I like about Rwanda is, I like Priya because I think he's taking an approach that says, he's in the middle of nowhere. He's not a coastal country, he's landlocked. Yeah. Yeah, he, he wants to create a hub for airlines. So he took Rwanda Air and he sold it, uh, half of it, to Qatar Airlines. Right. You know, uh, he's busy building an airport there in Kigali, a very massive international airport to be a hub. And he's very progressive on education, uh, water, sanitation, uh, foreign direct investment, and those type of things. And I think it's an excellent model. Mm. that you will find the young people, that's the topic we were on now, mm. the Rwanda young people, you'll find less of them will have the urge to want to leave. They yeah. will want to be part of the excitement that in reshaping their own country's future, yeah. and they want to be part of building that future. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure there is no lack of uh, patriotism for any any people from any country. It's just that we need to Correct. give them the right opportunity in which Amanda is pro providing it. And rightly, it's, it, it's not an extraordinary location as Singapore has, but it's still they are seeing that as a very good strategic location. They actually observe it, adopt it, and acting on it. That's interesting Correct. part of it. Correct. Absolutely correct. So, Thank you so much. Um, this is That brings to our last portion. You have traveled widely to study leadership and transformation in right. large organization in the field of railway supply chain logistics. Yes. Operations, et cetera. What were the key takeaway from the, these tips and how do you see young future leaders preparing themselves for leadership role? You know, Priya, thank you very much for that. That's a very, very important question and it's very close to my heart. I, I see that from all the things happening all over the world, digitalization, you know, operational excellence, yeah. uh, interconnectivity, uh, the world is becoming a more connected place. Uh, 
and so forth. I see one of the big things and opportunities for young future leaders is for them to have self-mastery. Yeah. So I see in their leadership roles going into the future, if they can focus on their emotional intelligence, how they come across to people, how they understand themselves, uh, how they understand their body language, their choice of words, how they understand their ability to influence people and persuade people. Right. In other words, the soft skills hmm. that digitalization is not going to teach you. If young people can master those soft skills, they will accelerate their progression into leadership. For sure. If they understand empathy in the workplace, if they understand how to care for each other, if they are able to read their employees, in other words, when Priya comes to work in the morning, uh, hi Priya, how are you? Uh, how is John, your husband? Uh, how is Michelle, your child? Those are things that go beyond the person coming to work. It shows care and it shows empathy. Mm. So if our young people can embrace emotional intelligence, if they can have self-mastery on how they come across to other people, right. they will accelerate their leadership roles, whether it is in railways or in any organization anywhere in the world. Mm. I found that to be my largest takeaway. I find I meet so many young people who come from Ivy League universities, but they don't know how they come across to other people. They don't know how they sound to other people. Uh, they don't uh, know their body language. Some of them are speaking about energy, but their body language is speaking in the opposite direction of energy. Uh, some of them are listening. They're listening to respond. You can see it in their face. They're not listening to understand. So my biggest takeaway I would have from all over the world where I've traveled is to say to our young people out there, if you truly want to um, grasp the opportunities that the new world brings to you, mm -hmm. master yourself, master how you come across to other people, master how you read other people, and master how people perceive you. Perceptions yeah. are very, very, very important. Your tone of voice, Mm. Your tone yeah. of voice, your body language is all critical. So that would be my key takeaway that I would give to young people and say to them, go and read about these things. Ask some, and sometimes, you know, some of these things, Priya, I've learned. Uh, if you want to know the truth about yourself, ask a very close friend, ask your partner in private, hey, how do I really come across to people? Yeah. Um, you, am, am I really showing that I'm listening to people or I'm aloof? Uh, I'm in another world and that type of thing. And so young people out there, I give you this one great tip. If you can master your emotional intelligence, you will accelerate your leadership capabilities in the years to come. Thank you. Thank thanks, you. Thanks, thanks for your time today. It was very interesting. And thank you for all your insight and details. I'm sure all the details will be given in the in the chat and descriptions people can reach out to you i know you are active on uh, social media especially on the linkedin so you can actually people can reach out to you on that yes absolutely they can reach out to me on that and uh, what i'll be doing in the next few months uh, i'm going to also uh, for free uh, record a few 
uh, interesting emotional intelligence uh, conversations with young future leaders. And I will put it out into the market for free as well on YouTube and other channels as well. I think it's just to say, how do we, how do we part ways with some of the experience that we've had and give it to the young people? Interesting. Thank you so much for joining in today. Thank you very much, Priya. And thanks to you and Ashok for arranging the session. And keep well and take good care and God bless. Thank you. Thank you so much for watching this video. If you liked it, like, comment and subscribe if you haven't already done it. To know more about us, visit www.corporality.global. And also you can find more about Priya Mishra is on priya.sydney.